Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Thrive Church this morning. How's everyone doing? Happy 4th of July. I know it's a couple days late, but um, I... I know um, I'm so glad to see most of you here after a 4th of July weekend. Um, I got very burned at the beach. The sunscreen did not work well for me, and so I look like a lobster. And my head looks all right. I take care of my head. Yeah, that, that stuff can be serious. But my front and back, I am a lobster. I made fun of um, Alan a couple weeks ago. I called him and Keith Burnt Man and Robber instead of Batman and Robin. And the Lord allowed me to get burned so they could laugh at me. Good to have you guys here today. If you're a first-time guest with us, you should have received a connection card. If you will, take that connection card and place it in the blue basket back there beside the TV when you leave today. Uh, we're honored to have you as our guest. Also, too, we have these really cool bands. You see this green band I have on? If you don't have one, you need one. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. All right? You need to get a green band. This is our website on here, and it's made where you can give it away to people. If you meet somebody at a restaurant, you're really nice to them, you can give it to them. Um, you know, people, uh, when you're out and about, they ask you about your church. Say, hey, just go visit our website and give that to them. And I promise you, if you give them out, we'll get more. Amen? Also, too, we're doing something great next Saturday. Probably my favorite thing to do at church is baptism. And so we're hosting a baptism bash right here, 5 p.m. next Saturday. And I'm so excited. We have anywhere from uh, low as 11, many as 15 signed up. It looks like it may even be more than 15. If you want to be baptized, it's your first time here or second time here, it's the most important thing you can do as a believer. If you believe in the Lord Jesus and you've not been baptized yet, you're like borderline disobedient. Like, I wouldn't really call you disobedient yet. But you need to be baptized. Let people know that you have publicly trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Very important step for you. And our sign-up is over there. But next Saturday, 5 p.m. We're going to have a bash, cornhole. You guys know how to play cornhole? Okay, some of y'all do. Some volleyball. We're going to have uh, some, hopefully some basketball for goals come in. So um, we're going to have a big fun time for the whole church. And so I would encourage you next Saturday at 5 p.m., even if you're not getting baptized, come out, eat some burgers with us, some hot dogs. And we like to make baptism fun. Right? Because the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices, the presence of heaven rejoices when one person turns to Jesus. And so I bet there's going to be a party in heaven next Saturday at 5 p.m. If you're new with us today, you've joined us in a series called The Joy Genome. And we're looking at the book of Philippians verse by verse. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. I've never preached Philippians verse by verse before. So you're getting a chance. I'm getting to walk through some of these verses I've never preached before. And it's been so fun to unpack these. So we're in our fourth week. And if you will, go ahead and turn to Philippians 2.12. And we're going to look at Philippians 2.12 all the way through verse 30 today. And I'm going to draw your attention this morning to just uh, 12 and 13. And then we'll walk through the rest of it a little later. Philippians 2, 12, we'll start there. One of the things I've realized about the beauty of computers is a zip file. Are there any techies in here? Know what a zip file is? For years, I didn't know how to work a zip file. I hated when I got a zip file. And what is it? For you guys that are not technologically savvy, it's okay. We'll have prayer counselors after the service. They can help you with that. They can pray for you. A zip file carries a very large quantity or quality of information in that file. And you have to extract what's in there to get the 
files that are in there, the quality files that are in there. It's an extraction. And so I've learned to right click and hit extract here. Done that? I love zip files. Now I can send you the biggest stuff ever and it gets right to you. But if you don't know how to extract, you won't get the good stuff in it. It's the same way with us. When you surrender to the Lord Jesus, God placed the Holy Spirit inside of you. He placed potential inside of you. And your job is, with the help of God, to extract the potential that's inside of there. We're just like a zip file, our life is. And look at Philippians 2.12 as I speak to you this morning on the title of the message, Extraction. Paul says, therefore, and he's used this term three times so far. If you've been here almost every week, you've heard this. He's tying it from the last several verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. These are pretty good people. They're, they're obeying Paul. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Remember, Paul's in prison. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. One of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Look at verse 13 because these two verses go directly together. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning as we open up your holy word, your scriptures we're so thankful for by way of the Holy Spirit you have given them to us. Uh, perfect, inspired, infallible Lord. Help us Lord today to have our hearts open to the truth of what Paul was saying almost 2,000 years ago. And God may we leave here fulfilling the full potential that you've called us to God. We love you and we praise you. It's the great name of Jesus that we pray and everyone said amen. Now we've been looking at this unique church in Philippi. And you cannot read a book of the Bible without understanding the background first. Never read and just not look at the history, but just go into it. Philippi was the first church in Europe, as we talked about. And in Acts 16, on Paul's second missionary journey, he goes into a city where he knows no one in kind of like a Los Angeles or New York. So imagine that God is telling you to go to Los Angeles or New York. He says there's no believers there. There are no Christians there. But I'm sending you there to start a church. How hard is that task? It's not like there's some Christians waiting to find a new church. I mean, there's nobody. Paul goes into Philippi and starts a church with a ragtag group of a very diverse group of individuals. You have Lydia, as we looked in Acts 16, the high roller fashion designer. House in Thyatira, house in Philippi. She sold purple. That means she, was, she made some money. She was on the front of Vogue and Cosmopolitan and all those women magazines, which I don't know a whole lot about. I would name more, but... I'm ignorant to that. Then you had the slave girl who was being used to, to tell fortunes by a demonic spirit. And she gets delivered and set free. And she's in this church. And then we see this, this jailer who gets his life changed and transformed. And him and his whole family start coming to church. He's like, uh-uh, I'm getting baptized. And all y'all getting baptized too. It's like, Daddy, I don't want to. I don't care. Shut up. You're getting baptized. <laughs> Right? I told you when daddy gets saved, the whole house, you know, begins to get in line. So dad, you are the key to your family following Jesus. Don't leave it, leave it to mama, even though they've done a great job the last 2,000 years. I think it's time for some men to step up. And all the ladies said, amen. amen. So, so we see that Paul loved this church at Philippi. He saw this amazing work happen. He had a great affection for them. I mean, chapter 1 is borderline mushy, right? Like, I really love you and I, I long for you. I mean, he's mushy. He's not that way toward any other church in the New Testament. 
And we watch as he's writing this letter, he lets them know last week that he wants them to have a culture of humility within the church at Philippi. I don't know what happened, but Ethel and Susie were fighting about something. Lydia and Slave Girl were at ends, and I don't know what it was about, but they were really upset with each other, and Paul was urging them to have a healthy culture within the church at Philippi. Be loving to each other. Be humble to each other. He's encouraging them with all of his heart to do that. And then he switches gears here in verse 12 and he says, Therefore, if you were here last week, you can tie this together. So he's saying, as you build a healthy culture, now, so what he's done is this. And if you look at the scriptures, beautiful. He talks them about having opposition against you from unbelievers, Right? To stand against opposition, Philippians 1, 12 through 27, if you, or 30, if you didn't hear that message, listen to it. Then he turns from not just opposition from the outside, but y'all folks need to act good to each other on the inside. You're Christians, I mean, act like it, at least to each other while you're in church. So he says that to them. Now he turns to not the outside world or the church, but to them as individuals. And he gives some verses here that if you have never studied this, you will come to an ignorant conclusion of what this means. Let's read verses 12 and 13 one more time, and then I'm going to give you a little commentary on it and help you understand this. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, this is the, the church at Philippi, Lydia, slave girl, jailer, and his whole family. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. It's so much more important now that I'm not there, Paul's saying. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me just stop there. Paul's saying, I'm not there to extract the God-given potential in you. That word, work out your own salvation, does not mean have a bunch of good works so you can prove you're saved. Or if you work hard enough, you can actually make it to heaven. Paul is not saying that. The word work out there, I want you to follow me here. It means to extract. Extract what God has put in you. He has put potential in you. He has placed a calling in you. And Paul is urging them to extract the potential that's inside of them. And that's one of the first things that we've got to know as believers. Because if you don't know that God has placed his potential inside of you, you will waste your life. And Paul's saying, work it out with fear and trembling. Extract out what God has put, put in you by way of salvation with fear and trembling. Literally, what that means is, as you are humbled, honored, and a little in awe, that God, holy, transcendent, would come down to meet with you and live in you. So, so you as a believer need to be like, I'm blown away. Like during worship, you should be like, I, I, I'm literally in awe that the God of the universe would come and pursue me for salvation. Come after me and call me. And then live inside of me. Once I, that, that's baffling. And Paul is saying, you need to live in all of that and then extract what he's putting in you. Now I like verse 13 though. You can't leave verse 13 out. Because it's not you who's doing all the work here. Watch this. For it is who? Okay, okay, class, you guys, boys and girls, do a little better. For it is great. Who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You are not working for God. How many times have you said, well, I'm just working for the Lord? That's what non-believers do. God does not have an employment company. 
Literally, when, when you are a Christian, when you are a believer, it's God working in you and then you working out what God's working in you. It's like, it's like a give and take thing. It's like you're partnering with God. You're not working for him. He's working through you and you're allowing God to do that. And so working for the Lord and trying to work out your salvation. A lot of people think well, I'm working out my salvation because I'm trying to make my salvation known. That's not what it is. You're trying to extract the beautiful things God has put in you. And let me encourage you this morning. You may have come here and you may think, man, I'm a screw up. There's no way that God has a great plan for me. You know, I really messed up. I've not been on track. I've not been on key. There's just no way that that's true about me. Friends, if you've named the name of Christ, he has placed potential inside of you. And it's your job with him working with you to pull out and extract that potential. Is that okay this morning? Now what I want to look at this morning as we study Philippians is, is beautiful. Is Paul gives us three examples of, of how to pull out that potential. The rest of these verses are about that. So look at Philippians 2.14. And I'm going to look at three points this morning with you. I promise not to preach long. I know some of y'all are sunburned and you're tired. And so I love you that much. But you can fulfill your God-given potential by, number one, look at Philippians 2.14, being an example to outsiders. Being an example to outsiders. Look at Philippians 2.14 through 18. And Paul continuing this thought here. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Let me say it one more time. I don't think some of you got that. I I, I think you missed it. (laughs) Do all things without complaining and disputing. And and the word complain there is beautiful. It it means a low-grade murmur. It's not a boisterous, I'm going to complain, but it's like I'm just, I'm just irritated with everything going on and, and I really don't want to do anything for God and, 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 and I'm not really going to do what he wants me to do. It's, it's that. And then disputing is not you, it's with other people. If you're argumentative, Paul just says, man, every, you need to get rid of it. Do all things. And watch this. Why do we do that? Why do we not have complaining and disputing? This is the key here, church. Why? And, and verse 15 says, that you, so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, watch this, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How many believe we're living in the midst of that generation right now? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. That you may become blameless and shining toward people who don't know Jesus, who are opposite to the gospel. Look at verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And watch this here. This is important. That I have not run in vain or labored in vain. What Paul was scared of was not them, quote unquote, losing their salvation. That's not what he was talking about there, okay? Here's what Paul's scared of. That their life is so ugly to the outsiders, nobody wants what they have. And he's scared that he's going to run in vain if they don't get this here. That, that when they all get to heaven, it'll be, be just them four no more. Verse 17 says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. That means that if if you're going to be an example to outsiders and show that to them, I'm glad to die on that behalf. For the same reason, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Paul's main point here is that we should be lights to those who are not believers. Be an example to outsiders. If you're wondering what your purpose is as a believer, it's to be attractive and beautiful in your walk with God to the non-believer. That's what your purpose is. If you're wondering, I, I want something deep. I want uh, you know, 40 days of purpose and all this. Guys, I'm giving you the conference right here. You don't have to buy the book. You don't have to do it. It's right here. Our main call, the first call. And if you can't do that, don't try to graduate to something else. And Jesus said this in John 17 in his last priestly prayer for us. He said, he prayed that we would love each other because the world will know that we're followers of Jesus by what? Our love for each other. Not how much you can pray in the Spirit, not how much you can sing, not how much you can give, but how much we love who? That's the person sitting next to you. That's me. That's you. And, and so we see this theme throughout the Bible. And let me tell you this. The world and the unchurched, the skeptics are looking for two things in the church. Integrity and internal harmony. But I want you to follow me here. Uh, the world is looking for us to mess up. Right? I mean, some people are just waiting to say, when they look at the church, I knew it. They were all just blanks. Whatever they want to call us there. And they are looking at our lives. And they're looking at this body of believers. And they're judging us by that. That's why it, it breaks my heart when I turn the TV on and, and Christianity is given a black eye. And it grieves my spirit that, that the, the, what happens in the church is not being attractive to those outside the church. Instead of Channel 6 running a, a story on how much the church is doing for the community, we get opposite stories. And I want you to realize something. The church is doing so much good in this community. But the world is waiting for you to fall. They're waiting for you so they can say, I knew it. And, I, and, and their favorite word is what? They call us a hippo. And Paul is urging the believers in Philippi in this metropolitan city who do not know Jesus. He wants you to be an example to outsiders in that city. He was, he was urging them. He said, shine as lights. You know what lights do? They guide and they attract. How many guys leave lights on outside at night and all the bugs go to it, right? That's what it be, should be for us. Our life is attractive. People are like, man, I don't know what it is about you. Man, I, I just love what's going on in you. There's something beautiful happening inside of you. And lights guide people. It, we should be a guide to them finding Jesus. And the, the world is also looking for this internal harmony. See, if the church always looks like a, a constant competition and fight, who wants to be a part of that? There's enough drama in the world, right? There's enough drama in your job and in your family where we don't need it in the, in the house of God. And so many times what happens is people look at the church and they don't want to come because we're all fighting. I mean, it's like going at your dinner table and your husband or wife is not a believer. They didn't come to church. And you're like, well, I don't like what that preacher said. I ain't going back to that church. I don't think they're right, right. And you're sitting there arguing. And then you're like, well, I'm just praying they'll get saved one day. They sure ain't coming to church with you if they do. Why would they? You've got to watch your conversation to those who don't know Jesus. And if you don't have anything good to say about the church, don't say anything. Because many of us are, are driving our families away from church because we're, we're saying these bad things about other believers and other churches. And I'm just as guilty as you are. You, you can say amen there. It's okay. You can say oh me. You all staring at me like during the headlights like I cannot believe on 4th of July weekend this guy is saying this to me. But you've got to realize, guys, that the church is looking for us to have this special relationship. And they're looking for us to have something special. They can say, you know what? Because, you know, I think they really want to believe, man. I, 
think most of the world really wants to believe that the church has something right to say and something good to do. But they look at us and they see fighting and arguing and us, and us you know, protesting all the time. And they're like, man, I won't be part of that. I'd just stay at home and watch Jerry Springer if he's even still on anymore. And I could, I could get as much as, as that. When I first got saved, let me tell you what attracted me to the church. I had not been to church in 10 years. And I came down to the altar at a youth service and gave my life to Jesus. And um, surrendered to him there. And I had people hug me and tell me, I love you, man. Here for you. People crying. Like, you alright, man? <laughs> I wasn't crying, you know. Like you first get saved, you really don't feel anything. Most of us don't right then. Some of you may have. But I saw love that I'd never seen before. I was much different in my makeup than those people. I had, you know, my hair was leopard print, piercings. I skateboarded. The kids were from the country club, you know. I wasn't really like the same as they were. But I felt love. I felt people genuinely loved me. And that attracted me to be part of that church. But can I tell you another story? I've been on the other end. I've been in some ugly church fights. If you've ever been in a church split or a church fight, you feel like two, you feel like a child going through divorce. And I was in one of the ugliest. My wife and I were, we were so naive to ministry, like so naive to it. We thought, like I said last week, a lot of, a lot of naive beliefs that I had. And there was the church there um, that we were at in, in, in Georgia, one of the churches, and, and it ended up splitting. I remember going to one of the, the, the talks they had after church. They had all the members get together and the bishop superintendent come up and the pastor come up and then like deacons come up. And this is crazy, man. And this is going on. And you have this arguing back and forth. Well, they're doing contemporary music, and we're going to be a traditional church. And they're like, "No, we're not." Ah, ah. I mean, it was like it was like, it was like total chaos. I'd never seen it. people crying, hollering. I mean, it was like a Jerry Springer episode. If he could have taped that, he'd have made millions of dollars. And I sat there, and what I realized was was number one, the reason their families never came to church was because they didn't want to be part of that. You know the conversations they were having over fried chicken on Sundays. That pastor, I just ready to vote him out and get him out of here. I just, you know, I, nobody wants to come to that. I'm just praying that my, my family will come to know the Lord. But maybe if you made the Lord attractive, they would. Amen? And I saw them fight and argue. And I even watched young believers who were serving Jesus turn away that day and say, I don't want to be a part of that. And, and they're still not serving God to this day. So I've seen both sides of the fence. I've seen where the church can be loving and attractive and beautiful and what God has intended for it to be. And then I've seen where it looks like, again, like I said, a Jerry Springer episode where nobody wants to be a part of it. And Paul was urging the Philippians, don't be a Jerry Springer episode in Philippi. Don't be so full of drama that nobody wants to be a part of what's going on. You guys know Gandhi, right? Muhammad Gandhi. One of the, the, the leading Hindu leaders, Indian leaders of his day. He actually lived in a Christian home for a while. And what he said was this. He says, I love the teachings of Jesus. But I cannot accept them because his followers, none of them follow the teachings. They live nothing according to what he's asked them to live to. So therefore, I can't follow that. I'm not saying he's right. But this young man, as a teenager, watched other believers and made his decision on Jesus based on them. Do you realize, church, that people are watching you and they may never read the Gospel of John, but they're going to read the Gospel of Elise and the Gospel of Wesley and the Gospel of Kevin and Alan. and Les They're going to read us as the Gospel. And your life may be the only Gospel they ever read. 
And based on what they see, they may either just say, well, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that, or you know what? I'm going to be a part of that. And Muhammad Gandhi made the decision, I'm not going to be a Christian. I am turning from that there. Paul is urging them, if you want to fulfill your God-given potential, then realize people are waiting, they're watching, and they're, they're just watching for something bad to happen. You know what I've realized? If, I, if we can just be consistent, we'll be okay. I mean, what you see at Thrive is what, you, is what you're going to get. I, I am who I am, you know. Um, we are who we are. If we can just be consistent and stay consistent, that's what the world is looking for. Here's a second point this morning. Are you guys doing okay so far? Yeah. All right, make sure you're still awake in here. I still love you. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, it, we're, we're still friends. Fulfill your God-given potential by, and here's the second point, forging your character. Forging your character. Not only being an example to outsiders, but forging your character. And the next two points, Paul's going to give you two examples of how this potential is fulfilled. And I love these two, these two people Paul speaks about. Look at Philippians 2.19-24. 2.19-24. Paul says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Remember, Timothy was was Paul's protege. He was mentoring him. For I have no one like-minded. This is amazing. Look at the, the testimony Timothy has. Who will sincerely care for your state. And not their state as a, as a place, but them personally. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. Paul's saying we're all a little selfish. And everybody said, amen. Okay, you that didn't, we're going to pray for you for lying in church. I'm joking with you. But you know his proven character. Zero in right there. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He was a son of the faith to Paul. Therefore, I hope to send him at once. As soon as I see how it goes with me. Paul saying, I'm going to get out of jail. Probation. What's going to happen? Don't know. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. This is beautiful here. One of the ways you fulfill your God-given potential is having forged or proven character. And you don't hear the church talk about this a lot at all. Matter of fact, if you do, it's something that's a miracle. Paul had this young man named Timothy who was half Gentile and half Jew. Very important. You know why? Because him being a Gentile, he could help with Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. That's who Paul reached was Gentiles, right? Non-Jews. But he was also half Jew. So when Paul went to the Jerusalem council and hung out with them, he was like, man, Timothy's cool. He could go both ways. And Timothy, it's amazing here that he says that I have no one who will care for your state. You mean Paul has Silas? He has Barnabas, he has, he has all this, this group, this entourage, and all he's got is Timothy. That speaks highly about Timothy, doesn't it? That I can send him and know that he will care for you the same way that I would care for you. And, and what does Paul say? That you know his what? Proven character. Proven character. What is character? And if you're a business owner or you're part of hiring departments, character is the most important thing that you can look for. Character is what you do when nobody's looking and no one will ever know. If no one would ever know, would you still do it? Character is when it doesn't really matter, are you still doing it? See, and as a believer, character is studying, praying, and seeking God when there's not a carrot in front of you. 
Or you don't see any outcome from doing it. But you know that it's what you're called of God to do is to seek him and go after him. Character produces integrity which allows people to lean on you. I've used these really bad stools time and time again. I think somebody tried to fix them. God bless their heart. There's no fixing these stools, don't you know that? These stools here are not very good stools, you can see. I just, just tore this one up again. The reason it's not, and this is character and integrity here, it was not made with character. Right? Whoever made this and what company made it did not plan for it. To, you just falling apart in my hands right here. I mean, it did not plan for it to withstand anything. Character produces integrity. When somebody makes something with character, that means it has integrity. Integrity means being, being whole. It means being one. It means being, being complete. So, if you don't have any character, and I call upon you and say, hey man, I need you to help me with this. Can, can you come through with this and, and do this? Or, or we're having you know, something pretty important uh, meeting. Need you here. Need you to do this. And here's what people with no character do. Is my ministry running that day? No, no, it's not, but I need you here. And I go to lean on them. Where's so-and-so? Oh, I can't lean upon them. Business owners, you've seen that. People have no, no character or integrity. You go to lean on them and what happens? You can't. Would anybody, any of you be willing to sit on this and put all your weight on it? Why? It has no character. Built with no character, therefore it has no integrity. And that's one thing that our world needs. And if you're going to fulfill your God-given potential, young people in here, character matters more than anything else. I'd rather take somebody who doesn't have as much gift and talent but has character and work with them rather than the person who has a lot of gifting and looks so, so good and so charismatic. And so what happens is you can't lean on that. Well, I mean, it's just... Pastor Keith, do you mind ordering one of those this week? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can piece it together and it'll look good from a distance. This, however, it has its own issues, but it's got integrity to it. I, I can lean on it. Thank the Lord it didn't fall apart. <laughs> That's been a bad illustration. I can lean on it. And, 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 and I believe what, what we need here at Thrive is people that can be leaned upon when you're not in the spotlight, when it's not all about you, when things don't really matter. And that's what character is, is that you can be leaned upon. And when you live a life of character, then you form integrity, which means you can hold it together when tough times come. That's what it does. It produces that, and you won't be the stool that falls apart when all that happens. Let me say this. Can you be trusted to follow through and complete the task, or do you need to always be followed up on? I'm going to give you a secret. If you're a business owner in here or manager, you're going to say amen. If I've always got to follow up on you to make sure you completed the task, it won't be long before I fire you. Young people, check back in. I, I check back in for a second. If I've always got to follow up and ask you, did that get done? And I've always got to say, did you remember to do that? It's not long for I'm paying you to do that. Business owners and managers, and, and if you're looking for a job in here, and, you, and you're like, man, I just, want, I just want to find a good, solid job, follow through. Do what you say you will do when you will do it. And do it when it doesn't matter and you are not in the spotlight. Everybody said, please help me out this morning. I, I, I feel like everybody's mad at me preaching this here. 
I wrote these things down here. If you only show up to things that involve you, you can't be leaned upon. It takes when it's not about me. It's about other people. If you only do things that make you feel good, right? I don't want to do that. Listen, we all do things every day we don't want to do. Mamas and daddies, you can say to your children, there's things every day I do. I do it because I love you, not because I want to. Right? I could have got a little little more help than that, but I'll keep going here. (laughs) See, character is so important because character is what's under the surface. It's what's under the surface. See, the Titanic was one of the greatest ships ever. You know what sunk the Titanic? Six small slits that nobody saw. Six small slits that nobody saw. When it hit the iceberg, there were six small slits. And they thought this big, beautiful ship could never be sunk. But it did. Because under the surface, it had issues that were not prepared for. And it's the same thing with character. If you have issues under the surface, you understand that it will sink your ship, no matter how good your ship looks. And friends, listen, champions are not made in the ring. They're simply revealed there. Football and basketball teams and soccer teams are not made in the game. The champions merely revealed there. You know where they're made at? In practice when nobody's looking. When nobody's around. When you're running laps thinking, why is this coach doing this to us? He hates us. He's preparing you for the game. So you can, when it, when, when it really matters, you can show up. And that's what character is. And Paul was saying, Timothy had that character. Let me just say this. It's not to pick on worship teams or preachers. But we have a great worship team and I can pick on them. I told, I told them this. I'll tell you this. If I can pick on you, it means I like you. If I can joke with you, it means I like you, okay? Just, just, just know that. It doesn't mean... But worship teams, it doesn't matter if they can sing like a canary. Oh, she can sing. But she ain't prayed in three months. Oh, he, he, he can play that keyboard. Yeah, but he, he, he's, he's in the bottle every night. Hitting the whiskey. I mean, you know, you, I'm glad he can do that. But sooner or later, what's below the surface, what people don't see, will manifest so everybody can see. It's called the Achilles heel of leaders. And, and character matters so much that you have a life that is above reproach. And it matters on that. Pre- I tell preachers that all the time. It's like what happens at this worship service is a culmination of what's happened all week for me. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, it was when you didn't see me that produces when you do see me. And these, these guys up here, and it's our life, it's praying, it's seeking God. And Paul said, I can trust Timothy because he has proven character. Paul said, I can lean on him to go to Philippi and do what I would do. He can be leaned upon, and he won't fall apart when I lean upon him. I don't have to follow up on him. You understand that Paul's in jail? He had no text messages. There's no Facebook updates from Timothy. Tell me, it's going great here in Philippi. <laughs> he had to just trust that Timothy was doing what he's supposed to do and then get a letter back, you know, three or four months later that it's going well. So here's the third and final point this morning. Not only do you need to be an example to outsiders and forge character, but the way you fulfill your God-given potential and working out the salvation is pouring yourself out for others. And he gives a beautiful example of this. Let's look at this in Philippians 2.25. Beautiful example. He says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Not a good name for your child, okay? The Bible's not full of good 
children names. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Now watch, watch this. The only time the Bible mentions Epaphroditus is in this book. Beautiful guy. Uh, I really can't wait to meet him in heaven. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed. Now watch this. Because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus was upset and hurt because they heard he was sick and he was just been out of shape. He wasn't upset because he was sick and nobody sent him a card. This is amazing. This guy is beautiful. He's like, man, I'm really, really just, oh, man, I'm so distressed because they heard I was sick. I mean, this, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't read the Bible slowly. I love it. It's beautiful. Watch this. For indeed he was sick and he didn't have a cough or stump his toenail or, or those things. Almost unto death. And I like this here. But God had mercy on him. Uh, anytime somebody experiences divine healing, it's God having mercy and realize that. And not only him, but Paul says on me also, for fear I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul loved Epaphroditus. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, that word rejoice again, and I may be less sorrowful. Now, now watch this in verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Why do you hold those people in esteem? What is special about them? He gives it to you in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply. And watch this here. Check in with me. To supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Did you get that? We'll call him Paphro to make it short. Paphro gets sick doing the work of God. Okay? Doing what God called him to do. God has mercy. And then Paul says, I want to send you because you have a good relationship with the Philippians, right? But the reason Paul had to send him, watch this, because the Philippians had dropped the ball. The Philippians dropped the ball. Well, how do you know that? Look, look at this last verse one more time. This is amazing here. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his own life. Now watch this. To supply what was lacking in your service toward me. That was a shot to the Philippians. Like, I had to send him because y'all wouldn't do what you're supposed to do. They were supposed to send an offering to the Macedonians, and they didn't do it. So Epaphroditus took the trip and almost died because the Philippians didn't step up. Epaphroditus risked his life for other people and poured his life out so others could experience the glorious gospel. That's beautiful, friends. That's beautiful. And he's the example of fulfilling and extracting your potential is when you pour yourself out for others. See, what happens is this, and this is where in America, I think, and I feel you know, called to help you guys with this. We don't get it. We are so ambitious and independent and, I mean, it's what kind of what's made our country in a good way, right? I mean, we, we, we split off from Great Britain, we come over here and start this country, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually detrimental to the kingdom of God. And I believe that everybody has a purpose here, right? So, so, so I, I clarify that. You need to listen to every word I'm saying because if you take one sentence out of context, I'll be in trouble. As long as you are interested about your dreams and your ministry coming to pass, it will never happen. 
Every person I hear says, I have a vision and God's given me this dream and God's given me this ministry. It never comes to pass the way that they thought it would. Somehow God stops it and I've tried to coach and counsel and work. And it's like, folks just don't hear it. You don't have a purpose. Okay, are you awake now? God has a purpose. And your, the, the key to you finding what God's called you to do is not having dreams and vision about your purpose, but saying, God, what is your purpose, God? Not my purpose, but yours. And I'm seeking to fulfill your purpose, God. And the more we seek to fulfill our own purpose and our own means and our own end, thank you, Danny, for that broken chair the less that you will see how God fulfills that. We saw last week, God exalts those who are humbled and puts others first. Check this in the Old Testament. Pastor Keith preached on it last time he preached. Joseph. Joseph. I had a dream at 17 years old, right? God gives him this great dream and vision. And he's just so excited. He's like every young, naive leader. Hey, brothers, guess what? I got a dream and I'm going to be greater than you're going to be. You know how brothers can be? Oh, yeah? They throw him in a pit. And the rest of his time, next 13 years, don't you realize that he, he is trying, he's interpreting everybody else's dream while his lies dormant. See, when he was, when he was 17, it was all about his dream, right? But he learned through the process of time is about interpreting other people's dreams. And that he finds himself out of prison and that dream coming to pass he interprets Pharaoh's dream the way his dream you follow me here the way his dream came to pass was he made somebody else's dreams come to pass you will never fulfill God's purpose for you trying to fulfill God's purpose for you you will fulfill God's purpose for you by fulfilling God's purpose for somebody else and the call has got to be, God, how do I help people and move them to their destiny? How do I position them? How do I help them? And the more you do that, God creates this, this imaginary ladder and you begin to climb the potential and destiny that God has for you. But the more you look to just fulfilling your own purpose and your own potential, the less you will ever see it happen. And you will always be frustrated. Why hasn't this purpose come to pass yet, God? Because you're still looking within yourself to see that happening. And, and I'm going to tell you, this has been the secret for my life, guys. I served for many years under pastors and when I would meet with them, when I'd come on staff, I'd say, Pastor, my job is to help your dream come to pass. What is in your heart and how can I make it happen for you? As associate pastor, I want to make that dream happen for you. God has placed something in you. And I served everybody else's dream. And when I became a lead pastor, you know what I do now? I volunteer for Redemption Ministries for a network of 65 churches and I help church planters and pastors find what God's called them to with no paycheck and no, no accolades to it. Because I understand the moment that I turn it inwardly on Kevin and Kevin's dream and Kevin writing books and Kevin traveling, the moment God will say, stop it, man. I'm putting a halt to it. But the, the more I make everybody else's dream happen and, and help coach them to what God's called them to do, the more God brings my dream to pass. Epaphroditus is pinned in the Bible. Do you get this amazing? He's in the Bible. Why? Because he preached a great sermon? No, he poured his life out for others. 
He said, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what happens to me. He says, I want to make sure that they, that they have what they need. I helped a friend out one time with his business. I actually left a company I was at making good money. And for two months before I transitioned, I said, I'll help you with, with, with your business. He needed a marketing plan. He needed somebody to call every company that they could on the phone. I worked in the corner of his trailer, right? Double wide. Calling people who did not want what I was selling. You ever tried that before? It's not fun, is it? It gets really boring after the third day. Click, 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 click. And each day I'd pray with him. We'd fast together once a week over his business. And I just felt really led to help this guy, man, to see his dream come to pass. We talked about what if you started an online internet site that sold this stuff. Nobody was doing that. Crazy to see. Nobody, nobody in, that, in that, that market was doing it. He started the internet site. And I helped him. He didn't see big growth, man. He didn't see a lot happen. We were a little frustrated. We're trying to we're pray and believe it. But you know when I went to plant the church, who my biggest financial supporter outside that church was? That guy. I never asked him. But the, the more that I realized I helped others, it was the more God ended up helping me. And Epaphroditus almost lost his life because he wanted other people to get what God had for them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will for his good pleasure. Extract what's inside of you. Listen, I'm, I'm pleading with you right now. Please, please listen to me. I'm pleading with every one of you right now. You have God given potential. Do not go to the grave with potential still left in you. Do not go to the grave with potential still left in you. For God has great plans for every one of you. I don't care what your history is. God doesn't remember your sins. You shouldn't either. For as far as the east is from the west, he has cast them away. And from this day forward, you you have the responsibility that God has placed it inside of you. See, our government, our army has something called reconnaissance missions. When a VIP, a very important person, which is why we call our VIP team that, when a VIP is trapped in foreign territory, and they're very valuable to this country, our army will send in recon units to go in, and the word they call it is to extract the VIP. And they send them in to extract that VIP. See, you got to realize, guys, you have something placed deep inside of you by way of the Holy Spirit called a VIP. And our job as believers, as God's working in us and God's doing great things, is to extract the potential, to extract that inside of us. Amen? If you will, I want you just to bow your head and close your eyes in here. As Daisy is going to sing this chorus here, she's going to sing the, the chorus to Revelation song. Won't you take a, a second and let this message sink in as you sing and realize that a holy, transcendent God has placed great potential inside of you. Our job to work it out. Just to thank God, He's placed potential inside of you.